Um, my name is Keith Case, and I'm a pastor here at Providencia, and we're so glad you're here tonight. The text tonight is from uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 31, and it will be up here on the screen. Uh, you can read along there. It's from the NIV. There's also Pew Bibles uh, if you want to keep the text out while we go through the sermon or if you want to follow along on your phone. This is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, starting in verse 12. He says these radical words, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that, think we, that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our present, presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffer, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church first all of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Greater gifts. Love is indispensable. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. This ends the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, I just got some stuff here in my pockets. I got to get rid of. Could you hold my phone for me, Catherine? And if you could hold my wallet for me while we're doing this. Okay. Um, oh, my keys. If you could hold those for me there. Oh, thanks. Um, okay. So um, I've been here for about five and a half years. I'm not going anywhere without those by the end of the service, I promise. Um, but we, before we moved here, uh, my wife and I moved in 2016 to Miami. And I was hired as a youth and families pastor at a little church there uh, in a little island called Key Biscayne. And when I got there, I started getting to know some of the kids there, uh, you know, in the community. And, and they kept talking to me about this music festival. 
Yeah, they were so excited about this music festival and some girl named Molly. And I never had met her. I don't think I ever did meet her. Um, but they kept talking about this girl and EDM. I had never heard that word before. Um, I'd heard of reggaeton, but I'd never heard of EDM. And so I started hearing more and more about this festival. It came around in March. And uh, this festival was called Ultra. Has anybody heard of Ultra? Okay, put your hands down if you've been there. Don't put your hand up, okay? So, uh, but I became, the more stories I heard about Molly and her friends, the more I became anti-ultra, uh, okay? Uh, for those of you who don't know, Molly is, is this drug, you know, it's a euphoric drug that people take while they're raving. And so um, I became like anti-ultra as their youth pastor, of course, right? And I'm like, you can't go to ultra. Ultra's of the devil. And um, ultra's bad. So all, all the kids in the youth group knew, and there was a couple kids that would go to ultra, and they apologized for it later. But um, if you jump forward 2011, so 2006, 2011, five uh, years later, my family and I have moved into Brickell. We live in that neighborhood, and we're literally across the river from the Ultra Festival. I uh, ran quite a bit, and all, the only music I listened to was EDM uh, when I was running. And when Ultra Festival would be happening, we had it like projected on the wall inside of our den, and the music playing, and like our, our windows are like vibrating and rattling. So I've gone from you know total rejection to full assimilation. I, I'm a huge like fan. I would run through the lines. I never went inside officially. You know, I never went into the thing, so not complete assimilation. But I was like all about the music. All about it. And uh, I was there the year I was watching, you know, when Avicii came out with his like bluegrass EDM music and everybody was losing their minds. They were booing him and everything else. But I feel like I was a part of EDM history. Um, and in full disclosure, I wrote this whole sermon while listening to Avicii. But um, I was on a flight to New York City um, in 2011 after it was over, after Ultra was over. And I was sitting next to this kid, and he was a raver. He had his, like, you know, really, really expensive headphones on. Probably cost more than my scooter. And um, he had his backpack. He had his gear. And he was, like, on his way to the next festival. And so I started talking to him. I was like, man, you from Miami? Any of you know me? I just I kind of get into these questions, you know, just getting to know people. And um, he's like, yeah, I'm from Miami, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to the next music festival. I'm like, where is that? I think it was in Berlin or somewhere. I'm like, how's this kid paying for this? And uh, he's like, I, this is like my fifth music festival in the last like two months. I'm like, oh my gosh, this kid just like does this all the time. And so I'm just getting more and more curious. And I'm like, man, you know, he's like, I love it. I'm like, what is it that you love about it? Like, what is it that you love that's like, you know, propelling you to spend your life, your whole year, like following these music festivals? And he said, you know, he kind of got like quiet for a second. He's like, you know what Molly is, right? And I was like, yeah. He's like, so, so when you're on that drug and, and the music, the, the bass is like synthesized, like it's, it's all coming out together at the same time and the crowd is like bumping at the same time. And so you have like the DJ, he's, the music for, through the speakers, you can feel it in your body and everybody in the crowd is moving at the same time. He's like, you feel like you're one with the world. 
like 100% one with the world. I was like, man, I got it. Like, now I understand. Now I understand. So there's this movement for me from like total rejection of ultra, full assimilation. Now it's like curiosity. What is this about? And there's an opening to understand this kid's heart and like what is this whole thing about for people? So powerful. I, I don't know if you've had an experience like that. I remember one of my professors in, in grad school said that when he went to a U2 concert, it was the greatest worship experience of his life. Um, I don't know when the last time you had a moment where you felt so connected to everybody in that space. Everybody in that space. But that kid, that's what it was about for him. And for me, one of the biggest things that I have tried to explore in my own life and in the lives of other people is that how our longings, our longing to experience what it's like to be one in unity, how so many of those can take us into destructive ways, and we think those are the only way, but actually there are like really good ways to pursue them. There are really good ways to pursue them. See, Paul is in Corinth, or he's writing, I'm sorry, to the, to the church in Corinth, and, and Corinth is this like small, I mean this kind of affluent pagan city and people really know how to party there it's 40 miles west of Athens okay and they got like idols and gods for like whatever flavor you want you know and they got music festivals and there's like sex involved and and all kinds of stuff right this 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 place knows how to party and there's this community of people there made up of Greeks and Jews and slaves and free people, and they've come together in this most unique way. Paul says that they've been baptized, that they've been baptized, and that they're now, as a community, are living out a different type of party. They're trying to figure out how do we live in a city like Corinth are we supposed to just like reject this place and, and just try to separate and go like, you know, form a little, um, a little neighborhood all to ourselves? Or, or are we just supposed to assimilate and like, hey, let's go, you know, like just join the party? Or is there another way? Is there something else? And I think Paul's going to unpack for us something else, that there's another way. See, to be baptized means, first of all, if you, if you go back and you read some of the stories about John the Baptist, and it says, you know, John the Baptist was out and he was baptizing people. He was, he was calling them to, to confess, to repent, and then he was baptizing them. He was calling them to confess. What was it that he was calling them to confess of? And for tonight's sermon, the way I would phrase that is the thing that he was calling them to confess from or confess was the ways in which they've been chasing after their longings on their own. But also the ways in which they've been chasing after their longings corporately together. That as this nation, that the ways in which they've been trying to chase after security, the ways they've been trying to chase after belonging, have not been good. They've actually been destructive, not just for other people, but for themselves and for the earth. And if you remember a few uh, weeks ago, we talked about fashion here. And um, 
I talked about, you know, how fashion is this incredible desire we have, this incredible desire we have to fit in and belong, but that it's become an industry that is the second uh, largest contributor to pollution in our world. And, and, and this desire to want to belong, that we've actually not only hurt the earth, but we've oppressed 85% of the, the working population in there is women who make like less than $3 a day. So there's like ramifications for the ways in which we chase after our longings that are hurting other people, that are hurting ourselves, that are hurting the earth. And so when these people come out and confess, they're confessing, I've been a part of that. And then they're being baptized. They're being like, for John the Baptist at that time, probably put into a river. Baptized into this river. They're being like dunked into this river. And what, what is that process? You know, once they've, once they've confessed uh, in verse 13, what is this baptism all about? And, and I would just frame it for you that baptism, baptism is stepping into a life of vulnerability. That baptism is stepping into a life of vulnerability. From the, uh, the tradition that I'm from theologically, they make this, this connection that I know some, some traditions are not comfortable with, which I understand those reasons. But one of the connections they make is that baptism, that sign of baptism that, that people experience in the, in the New Testament is connected to this sign from the Old Testament uh, called circumcision, which uh, circumcision uh, makes a man very vulnerable uh, after that takes place. In fact, when a whole nation of men, remember there is no army, there's no police, when God asks the entire nation to be circumcised, all the men to be circumcised, those people become like sitting ducks. They become very vulnerable. And God, in fact, invites them in that space as they're camping out in the desert, not to be faced outward, which every other you know, tribe would do to look for enemies coming and approaching, to face inward towards the ark, towards his presence. So entering into baptism is this entering into vulnerability. And here's why it's vulnerable. Because you're walking away, you're turning away from the ways in which you've chased after your longings the deepest longings of your heart that are really good things, it's the ways in which you've chased after them, God is saying, there's another way. And to follow Jesus on that way is very vulnerable. Because even though you may know at some level uh, the longing that you have and where, where that longing could take you, you don't know how you're going to get there. You don't know what that road is going to look like through the desert. It is so risky. The, the people who know this maybe more than anybody is uh, people in recovery, addicts, which I consider myself one. But when you stop using a drug that you've been using for a long time, you come off that drug and then all of a sudden you have these moments where you start feeling emotions. Emotions that you did not want to feel before. That's why you started using the, the substance in the first place. So you start feeling these emotions, and then now you're trying to actually navigate, how do I do relationship? 
how do I, how do I connect with people? How do I like talk to people? How do I get out of bed every morning? How do I just like get through the day? And it's a completely vulnerable process. It's so vulnerable. And if you know people in recovery, they, they have like teams. I was talking to somebody this week, like 13 people in one house. And they have like 20 staff to help these people. That's how vulnerable this process is. Walking into baptism. And then there's this part that says once these people have, have been uh, baptized, he also says that we've drinking that the spirit, that we, that we drank the spirit. Right? In verse 13, right there at the end, that we've been given one spirit to drink. Now, what is that in reference to? We've been given a spirit to drink. Is he talking about like cocktails, mimosas? Like what is, you know, the spirit that we've been given to drink? In the Old Testament, when Israel had been set free from their life of slavery, when they had been taken across the sea and they reached the other side, in celebration, they drank wine. In joy and celebration because they had been set free. But they also drank wine because now they were on a journey of being free from their slavery. And they were asking God to sanctify us. They were asking God, teach us now how to live as artists. Teach us now how to live as lovers, not slaves. And that's in the book of Deuteronomy. And that whole book is teaching them how then are they going to live in the promised land. And we as his body, as the church, Christ is calling us and he's saying to us, this is the way you will live, the spirit. And we do that every week here. We drink from this cup, the communion cup that Jesus poured for his friends. You remember? His friends who all betrayed him. That, that drink that he poured for them. And we drink of that every single week. And we confess to each other and to the world, hey, I've been a part of chasing after my longings and it's been destructive. But I'm bringing my back, myself back to following this one, to, to walking back into this way of vulnerability. And jumping, jumping back up to verse 12, there's something really radical that happens there that uh, I don't want you to miss. And, and maybe we can bring it back on, on the screen here. But it says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with the church. That's what, I mean, that's what we would think that Paul is going to say. That, that, that there's, you know, many parts to a body and uh, the body is one because all the body, you know, has to have all the parts. And that's how it is with the Church. But instead of saying church, what does he say? Christ. Christ. Yes. Somebody give her a star right now. <laughs> um, Stefa, that was awesome. So, uh, so he says Christ. What is, he say what is he saying about us? What is he saying about you and I there? How literal is that? 
that that body that has many parts, the church, that it's Christ. That we are Christ together. That's wild. And if you're here tonight and you, you, you know, you're kind of like just here checking things out, you know, one of your friends like drug you here, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, like what is this Jesus thing about? What is this church thing about? Um, I hope you get a chance to read the gospel stories about Jesus and the type of, of person, human that Jesus was, who we also say is God. As a church, we declare that. We believe that he is God. But I want you to see the way in which he treated people the way in which he approached people, the way in which he, 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 he identified himself with the marginalized, the way in which he stood up to the bullies of the world to bring justice for the oppressed, the ways in which he healed people who no one else had time for, the ways in which he moved people, people who were shut down, people who were dead inside, that he brought them back to life, both uh, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically. This man, I'm telling you, I think if you read about him, you will want to identify yourself with him. And that's what he is saying. If you are a part of his body, of his church, that you are doing. You're identifying yourself with Christ with who he is, with his ways. And in doing that, you learn a whole new way to party. You learn a whole new way to party. And it just might lead you to throwing better parties than the other ones out in Corinth or the other ones here in West Palm Beach. I love throwing parties at my house. I love it. And I, any, next time I have one, you're all invited. Um, but that we can party even better, more richly than even the world out there. That somehow, in some way, when people come to our parties, that they feel more included. They feel like they belong more than they've belonged anywhere else. You imagine throwing a party like that? We're getting ready to start throwing them. They're called Friday Night Feasts. I mention them now because uh, only five or six of us are here when we start church. And that's when we do announcements. Um, so if you're on our email list, you might know about it. But uh, otherwise, you probably don't know about it. And um, Josh Jones, the, the beautiful bearded man who was up here leading us in confession, he heads that up. So if you are new here or if you've been here for a while, you weren't a part of those, those feasts before, we want you to sign up. Uh, if you want to be, because we want you to be there. The idea is that these parties happen in the neighborhoods around our city, and we invite our neighbors, we invite our friends who live in our neighborhoods, go to work with us. They would never go to church, maybe. They just come and we hang out. There's no strings attached. We just want to have a great party. We just have a great party for people. We want people to know that they're loved here in this city. So there's a different way. Let's do it. Let's go. Um, now, I am getting old. I'm 42 years old, and I had knee surgery like five years ago. And my knee never stopped hurting, and then uh, my wife, uh, you know, had a baby, and I, I put on some weight, um, you know, sympathy weight from the baby, 
It's a real thing. And, and so I'm on this diet now. Like our family's on a diet, which means my wife and I are on a diet, which means my kids are suffering. And um, it basically, it's, it's such a bizarre, this paleo thing, you know, it's like anti-inflammatory. My body feels so much better. I still am craving like a meat lover's pizza. But um, to be on a diet together when you have like seven people in your house, it's a kind of a tremendous undertaking for my wife as far as like trying to get us the right food and making sure that, you know, I get to eat out during the day, but at nighttime, it's like got to be all this, this food. And, and, and part of it for us too is because, um, because we, uh, my wife had this baby uh, last year, Watson, um, because of how disoriented that becomes for our lives and, and, you know, we just trying to survive, we kind of you know, just eat whatever we want. And, and um, you know, I, I used to be able to do that when I ran a lot, but not anymore. And so we're trying to get back into modeling. So we do like a little bit of modeling on the side. And we do that to pay for my kids to go to school. So here's the connection I want you to make. My dietary decisions every day right now have an impact uh, on my family monetarily. I mean, you could say that anyway, right? Whenever you go out to eat, you're like spending your family's money. But they impact my family in, in, in a monetary sense. They also impact my children's future education. Because that's how we basically pay for them to go to school. And that affects their future. So like what I eat every day has this like lasting impact and, and I thought diet was appropriate because diet is this thing today for us as a culture. It almost feels like the greatest sins of people's lives is around like diet. Like the way we talk about it. It's kind of like smoking cigarettes. You remember like smoking cigarettes was like a thing everybody did for a while, no big deal. And then like all of a sudden it became like cigarettes were the devil, you know. And then it's like dieting. Funny, on, on, on South Beach in Miami, where all the clubs are, the clubs have been suffering there. You know why? Because people are not drinking as much anymore. What are they into now? Working out and dieting. So it's this thing. It's this like thing in our culture. And it has this impact. And I, I want you to see that, that this idea of how in my family, this like, solidarity that we have to experience as a family affects us every single week. What I decide to put into my mouth affects my body. It affects my knee, uh, my ability to walk. It affects my ability to exercise. It affects my family. Well, Paul goes on to talk about how connected the body is how connected our bodies are. And I kind of thought it would be appropriate to make these body parts into denominations uh, for those of you who are familiar with them. So he talks about the feet. And, you know, I consider that more of like your evangel evangelistic uh, churches. You know, they're taking the good news to people. Then he talks about the hands. Uh, and that's either like Pentecost or like, you know, Pentecostals, Charismatics people. Or it could be like your social justice people, you know, like giving, you know, out their hands, being the hands of Christ. And then it talks about the more, you know, the ear people, the more listening oriented people. That's Providencia. I couldn't think of other churches doing it really, but uh, our weird church. And then um, 
Then he talks about the prophets, you know, the, the people with the mouth that they're speaking. And then the nose, I thought that had to be Anglicans, right? With like the, the incense and everything. Um, so, so all these different denominations, all this diversity of churches, and which one's doing it right? I mean, we, we as a church, you know, we have people that come from other churches sometimes and, and they, you know, they, they maybe got hurt by another church. That's part of my story. Uh, or they went to another church and they come here and they're like, man, th this is what church is about. And I'm like, this little part of my ego goes like, yeah, yeah, yeah we're doing it. Um, and, and they're not, you know. And that's just not of God. And it's, it's like Paul's thing, he's like, hey, uh, listen, there's all these different expressions. And each of them has like these incredible gifts that they're bringing to the table. Be for them. Be for them. Because in some very unique and powerful ways that I don't completely understand, it is a reflection of who God is. Now, there, be, there may be things that you say, hey, but this thing happened at a church and this was like against the word of God and it was very clear and this is an injustice, like abuse. And you have every right to call that out. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that these expressions that, that happen, that are different from denomination to denomination, that there's something that is communicated about who God is through all those. And as time has gone on, as I've grown in my faith, I've fallen more in love with uh, Catholic authors and writers and, and, and priests. I've fallen more in love with uh, Anabaptist friends. I've fallen more in love with uh, the Eastern Orthodox uh, uh, people that I've met. I've fallen more in love with other denominations and their expressions And Paul is saying that we are, we are like married together. That we are united together. That we're all members of this body. And in verse 26, the key says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. This incredible solidarity as a community that we are the body together. The way in which we are living our lives out there and in here matters. It affects all of us more than we want it to. We are more united, I promise you, as Americans than we want to be. He says we are all one body. And, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I usually think, like, what am I going to do today? I'm just like looking at my calendar, what do I have to do? When we understand like what Paul is talking about here, the way you begin to wake up is, what are we doing today? What is the body doing today? Can you imagine what a shift that would be, how, like how, how foreign that might be to you? Some cultures are much more, that's how they wake up. And Christ is calling us to this communal 
way of life that is so flying and against the face of our culture. In fact, I see it. I see the hunger. I see the hunger in people, especially young people, for community. The challenge is like, how do we do it? Instead of just talking about it on social media, how do we actually do it? How do we work through conflict? How, how do we uh, learn to hold each other in our pain? How do we learn uh, to rejoice together, to celebrate each other? And that, my friends, is a lot of work. But it's so worth it. Um, tomorrow morning, I'll be leaving to go to Kansas City. It's going to be negative five degrees there on Tuesday. And um, all of my pants are really short. So if you guys could pray uh, for my ankles. And if anybody has any gloves, I might need them because then I'm going to Colorado Springs after that for uh, a denominational meeting. Um, and uh, I, I, the, f- the first time I went to our denominational meeting, I met this guy named Alan Hirsch. Some of you may have heard of Alan. Alan, Alan is a party man. He and his wife uh, go every year to that, uh, that big party that happens in the desert. The, what is it called? Uh, Burning Man. So uh, I, I, he told me he's going to take me one time. But um, they go to Burning Man, and they are like a part of the thing. They have created these incredible art uh, pieces. And uh, he's a, a guy just loves culture, and he loves movements. He's a man who studies movements. And he's the first guy to ever tell me this, but he said that, you know, when you, when you look at movements throughout history, that you find that there are five essential uh, players or five essential roles in any movement, like five essential leaders. The first one is the apostle. And that's like your entrepreneur. That's the, the person who sees things. They have a vision for things. And they're kind of like moving the pieces. And they know how to bring things together. And the second is uh, the prophet. The prophet can speak. The par- prophet uh, creates artistically. You know, like the artists so often are prophets. Like Bob Dylan, right? is a prophet. Uh, like Jen sitting here in the front row as a dancer, she's a prophet. They, they, they speak into things. They speak into life. They help us see things that we wouldn't be able to see. And they do so with courage and boldness where a lot of times we're like, ah, like scared of what they're saying. But then there's evangelists. You have to have evangelists and that's like your sales team. And then you have the shepherds. And the shepherds are like customer service. The shepherds are the people that they answer the phone and they, you know, try to calm you down. Like, hey, we're going to be here with you. We're going to take care of you. And then lastly are the teachers or the educators. And he basically said you have to have all five of those to have a movement. And what happened in the church in America, in the mainline churches, is you had those apostles, you had those evangelists, you had those prophets, those artists creating these incredible movements and these awesome things were happening. And then over time, you know what the church does? The shepherds and the teachers, they kill the first three. They're like, you guys are too crazy. You apostles are too risky. You're like doing too many wild things. You're shaking the boat too much. And of course, the artists, right? Like they are just too wild. We got to silence them. They're going to get us in trouble. They're going to cause controversy. And the evangelists are out there just working it. And the church ends up killing them all and they just 
huddled masses. And he's like, you got to have all of them. And Paul is saying to this church in Corinth, you, you remember at that time, the church is like super teeny. There's not much going on, right? The church is pretty small at this time. I mean, if they would have known 2,000 years later that we'd be sitting here tonight in West Palm Beach across the sea talking about them, they would have been freaking out. Like they wouldn't have believed it. But Paul is saying to them, hey, listen, in this church, you have these gifts. You have these gifts. There's apostles in this room. There's artists in this room. There's, there's evangelists in this room. There's uh, shepherds. There's, there's teachers. They're, they're in this room. And so I want to ask you tonight, what is your gift? As I described those things tonight, was, did any of them resonate with you? What gift do you want to bring to build up the body? What gift do you want to bring to this body? And Christ says, or Paul says, bring it. Bring that gift. Every one of them, we need them. But there's one above all of them that's indispensable. And it's love. It's love. And if you think about the body of Jesus, if you think all that that body lived through, the people that he touched, the risks that he took to put himself in the places he did to love people, and what they did to his body uh, as he went to the cross. That he would lose it that he would suffer so much in his body so that we could be a part of it. So that we could know that he knows our suffering, that he identifies with us. When he went to the cross, he did it out of his love for us. Let us pray.